MSW Media. Thanks to Splendid Spoon for supporting the Daily Beans. Splendid Spoon sends delicious plant-based meals and snacks designed to fit into your busy schedule instead of taking time out of it. Get started today and get $120 off your first three boxes at SplendidSpoon.com slash Daily Beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, September 30th, 2022. Today, Trump judge Eileen Cannon puts her thumb on the scale for Donald again. Trump uses Hurricane Ian to dodge a deposition in another fraud case he's involved in. Republican states are suing President Biden over his student debt forgiveness. A former NSA employee is charged with espionage. Oleg Deripaska is indicted for skirting sanctions. A Republican poll worker in Michigan is charged with tampering with voting machines. And a former army major and their wife have been charged with leaking health care data to the Russians. And Ginny Thomas was interviewed by the January 6th committee today. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hi. Happy Friday, Dana. Happy Friday to you. End of the week. Lots of news. Lots yeah, of news. lots, lots of, lots of indictments unsealed today, and uh, a little bit later, I get to talk with Dahlia Lithwick. She's the author of the instant New York Times bestseller, "Lady Justice: Women, the Law, and the Battle to Save America." Yes, and Dana, the Oath Keepers trial has a jury. They have found forty-five prospective jurors. I expect opening statements to be taking place on Monday. The trial should last about four weeks. We will cover it briefly here on the Beans. So sounds good. That's um, a little bit about what's going on. Now let's uh, dive a little bit deeper into the news and hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. So I'm just going to read from Marcy Wheeler's blog, emptywheel.net, about what Judge Eileen Cannon, who apparently is now Trump's defense attorney and deeming herself the special master, and about what she did today in the Mar-a-Lago documents case, because Marcy gets it 100% right. 100% of the time. Now, this is just an overview. She says she's going to write more about this Friday. So give her a follow and check out EmptyWheel.net. She says Eileen Cannon, without explaining why she's intervening, just rewrote Judge Raymond Deary's work plans regarding the special master review. With no justification, zero justification, particularly given the way Deary has ceded to multiple issues Trump has raised, And after having been scolded, bench slapped, right, by the 11th Circuit for improper claims of equitable jurisdiction, she effectively just eliminated any claim that the special master Trump picked and she appointed is a neutral observer. Altogether, she, one, excused Trump from having to lodge challenges to the more detailed inventory list while misrepresenting the current deadlines for doing so. Two, accepted Donald's claims about the timing of vendors, even though the DOJ assumed that part of the task. So what Trump claimed, by the way, Dana, was the reason that no one wanted to work with Donald was because their timeline was too fast. It's not because he doesn't fucking pay his bills, which is hilarious. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. (laughs) Sure, 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 sure. Cool, cool. Number three, she bought Trump's dodgy claim that there are 200,000 pages of documents before DOJ could lodge a correction. Four, ignored Trump's own hints. They missed the one deadline they faced so far. (laughs) (laughs) 
Number five, invented claims about how long it took the Department of Justice to conduct the initial review. They just made it up out of whole cloth and extended her own deadlines to make sure that nothing would happen until after the midterm elections. And then finally, she claimed, even after the 11th Circuit said differently, that there was no jurisdictional dispute over Rule 41G motions when there clearly is. And the 11th Circuit pointed it out said she doesn't have equitable jurisdiction and can't figure out why this isn't being, you know, sussed out in Reinhardt's court. That's the magistrate judge that is right around the corner and issued the actual search warrant rather than judge shopping 70 miles away to get Judge Cannon. Now, keep in mind, Dana, this has nothing to do with the hundred or so classified documents. Okay, this is all the rest of the shit. The Department of Justice has resumed their use of those documents in the ongoing criminal investigation into Trump and his lawyers. The 11th Circuit says that they do not have to hand any of that shit over to the special master or the court or Trump's lawyers. And the Office of the Director of National Intelligence has resumed its risk assessment of those hundred or so documents, both of which, by the way, the criminal probe and the risk assessment are inextricably linked, as the DOJ said, and as the 11th Circuit ruled. The Department of Justice has filed a notice of appeal to Judge Cannon's little ruling here saying Trump doesn't have to answer as to why he because, you know, they're basically saying you don't have to. She's saying you don't have to respond to the inventory list, which means he doesn't have to say whether he declassified any documents or whether any of the FBI planted any of them. So the Justice Department has filed a notice of appeal and I'll bring you the details once they file them. It's also of note. And thanks to Ben Mysalis of the Midas Touch podcast for this little nugget. Christina Bob said on national television that she was not in any way acting as Trump's lawyer at all during the Mar-a-Lago case. She was just the documents custodian. She was not on that legal team ever, which means she cannot claim attorney-client privilege when questioned about her knowledge of or participation in the document case crimes, because you have to establish an attorney-client relationship to assert attorney-client privilege. And she just established the opposite. (laughs) It's really interesting. I know. We'll see what comes out of that. Yeah. Now this story. Ginny Thomas. Well, what did she do? She told the House Committee investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol today that she never discussed, never discussed efforts to overturn the election with her husband during a closed-door interview in which she continued to perpetuate the false claim that the election was stolen. And what she said... I don't know. We'll get to this. It wasn't that she doesn't. It's she says she generally <laughs> doesn't discuss, which means she yeah. absolutely does. Yeah. That, and, and Andrew Weisman pointed out generally is doing a lot of work there. Oh, uh, real heavy lifting. Yeah, real heavy you, lifting. Did you not generally and specifically discuss it? Like, what yeah. are you talking about? Now, leaving the interview that took place at an office building near the Capitol and lasted about four hours. Miss Thomas smiled in response to reporters' questions, but declined to answer any of them publicly. She did, however, answer questions behind closed doors, and that's from Benny Thompson. Then we know that he is leading, he's the chairman of the committee who added that her testimony could be included in an upcoming hearing. If there's something of merit, it will be. That was again, yep, I love Benny. Now, Ms. Thomas exchanged text messages with Mr. Meadows, the White House chief of staff, in which she urged him to challenge Joe Biden's victory in the 2020 election, which she called a, quote, heist, and indicated that she had reached out to Jared Kushner, the president's son-in-law, about Mr. Trump's efforts to use the courts to keep himself in power. She even suggested the lawyer who should be put in charge of that effort was no one other than Sidney Powell. Now, Ms. Thomas also pressed lawmakers in several states to fight the results of the election, 
But it was Ms. Thomas's interactions with Mr. Eastman, a conservative lawyer who pushed Vice President Mike Pence to block or delay the certification of Electoral College votes on January 6th that have most interested investigators. Yeah, that and her name was on that uh, Gomert yes. lawsuit against Vice President Pence, the former, you know, the former milk toast guy with the fly on his head. And also a bunch of people from Arizona, including Kelly Ward, who was just subpoenaed by the Department of Justice and lost her battle in uh, not being able to have her phone records handed over to the committee. So interesting. Ooh, all these things coming together. All right, check this out. It's time for the Fantasy Indictment League. First up, Dana, Oleg Deripaska, our old friend, and his associates have been indicted for skirting sanctions and obstructing justice. Quote, as today's charges reveal, while serving the Russian state and energy sector, Oleg Deripaska sought to circumvent U.S. sanctions through lies and deceit to cash in on and benefit from the American way of life. That is Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco in a statement. Three women were indicted alongside for allegedly taking part in Deripaska's scheme to evade sanctions, including his purported girlfriend, Ekaterina Olegovna Voronina, and Natalia Bardakova and Olga Shriki. Shriki, a U.S. citizen and New Jersey resident, so maybe she hangs out with Dr. Oz, was arrested Thursday, according to a Justice Department press release. The rest are on the lam. Bartikova and Shriki are charged with one count of conspiring to violate and evade U.S. sanctions. Bartikova and Veronina are charged with one count of making false statements to federal agents. Shriki also faces one count of destruction of records. I'm so oh. glad I didn't get this story. Thank you so much for taking care of the pronunciation. <laughs> you're welcome. I'm sure I'm not doing well with them. You think you're doing fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. It just reminds me of... Uh, what is my favorite movie? Zoolander, when he introduces Katrina <laughs> It's of note, by the way, this investigation was going down when Barr ousted Jeffrey Berman from the Southern District of New York. So I'm wondering if he shut this one down only to have the Biden U.S. attorney reopen it because, you know, maybe new evidence. I'm not sure, but interesting. All right. Next up on the fantasy indictment block. A former U.S. Army major and their anesthesiologist wife have been criminally charged for allegedly plotting to leak highly sensitive health care data about military patients to Russia. That's according to the Justice Department. Jamie Lee Henry, former major who was also a doctor at Fort Bragg in North Carolina, and their wife, Dr. Anna Gabrielian, were charged in an unsealed indictment in federal court in Maryland with conspiracy and wrongful disclosure of individually identifiable health information about patients at the Army base. And... Dana. Jarrett Sebastian Dahlke, 30, was an employee of the NSA, where he served as an information system security designer from June to July, like one month in 2022. That's like four Scaramucci's, two Scaramucci's? Yeah. Maybe three. Yeah, like two and a half yeah. Scaramucci's. According to the affidavit in support of the criminal complaint, between August and September, Dalkey used an encrypted email account to transmit excerpts of three classified documents he had obtained during his employment to an individual he believed to be working for a foreign government. By the way, the foreign government here is clearly Russia. You can tell by all the clues that they talk about in the indictment. In actuality, the person that Dalkey was faxing this shit to was an undercover FBI agent. Whoopsie. Dalkey subsequently, I actually didn't fax him, but, you know, sent, transmitted Dalkey subsequently arranged to transfer additional classified information in his possession to the undercover FBI agent at a location in Denver, Colorado. Hmm. Mile high treason. 
To prove he had access to sensitive information, Dahlke transmitted excerpts of three classified documents to the undercover agent. Each excerpt contained classification markings. One excerpt was classified secret, and two excerpts were classified top secret. In return for the information, the FBI undercover agent provided the requested $85,000 in cryptocurrency, of course, to an address Dahlke provided. Dahlke is charged by criminal complaint, alleging three violations of the Espionage Act which makes it a crime to transmit or attempt to transmit national defense information to a representative of a foreign nation with intent or reason to believe that information could be used to the injury of the United States or to the advantage of a foreign nation, something Donald Trump is currently being investigated for possibly having done. The Espionage Act carries a potential sentence of death or any term of years up to life in prison. And a Michigan poll worker has been charged after a witness saw him inserting a USB drive into an electronic poll book after the August 2nd primary. James Hulkyboer. I'm just going to, you know what? Yes, let's just go with that. Hulkyboer. What's that where we used to grab on the back of cars in the winter and slide across the hooky bobbing? That was what that was. Wow, I would have never come up with that. It's an East Coast thing. So anyway, Jim Uh, An election inspector at the Gaines Township (laughs) 8th Precinct has been charged with falsifying records under election law and using a computer to commit a crime. Hulky Boer, Hooky Bobber, registered with the county as, well, guess what party, Dana? Um, Republican. You ding, 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 ding. Tell her what she's won, Bob. (laughs) She's won (laughs) oppressive (laughs) fascist regimes. Okay. Anyway, we have so many indictments today. That's why I wanted to bring the Fantasy Indictment League here today. So thank you for indulging me. What's up next? Oh, I have two more stories. First up, six Republican-led states, they sued Thursday to overturn Biden's plan to cancel up to $20,000 in student debt from millions of borrowers as conservatives advance legal challenges to one of the administration's signature economic policy initiatives. The new suit filed in federal court in Missouri comes two days after a conservative attorney in Indiana filed a separate lawsuit against the administration seeking to reverse that policy. Now, the lawsuit filed by the GOP-run states asked the court to block the program immediately to prevent the Biden administration from canceling loan balances as early as next week. Now, I don't think these lawmakers give a shit about the money. I really don't think they want people voting for Democrats in their state. AG, not sure this is the best midterm election strategy, but nothing surprises me anymore. It really doesn't. Mm -mm. And there's a reason Donald Trump is riding out Hurricane Ian at his Florida Beach Club. He was scheduled to be deposed at Mar-a-Lago on Friday as a defendant in a class action lawsuit. The revelation was made public in letters filed in court Wednesday by the lawyers suing him. They're trying to question the former president in an ongoing case that accuses him, his adult children, and the Trump Organization of deception and fraud as they allegedly promoted scam businesses. Wow. They did. John Quinn, one of the lawyers representing a group of people accused Trump, told a federal judge on Wednesday that Trump refused to move his deposition out of Palm Beach, even as the hurricane approached. Now, Quinn and his team didn't want to fly into Florida this week, given the severity of the storm. They said Trump's side wouldn't move the deposition to Bedminster in New Jersey, where Trump's golf course is and probably some of the other classified documents with Ivana's (laughs) casket. The court... (laughs) had set a Friday deadline for lawyers to be able to question Trump and others in the case under oath. But Trump's lawyers responded in court Wednesday night that they had flown to Palm Beach this week with Trump ready to testify. And they said that they would have rescheduled the deposition if only Quinn's team had asked. Oh, if you just asked, we would have done it. Now, Trump's lawyer, Clifford Robert, 
called Quinn on Tuesday. Quinn wrote in the letter that the federal court in Manhattan, quote, to tell me that he and his colleagues were boarding a flight to Palm Beach. I expressed some surprise. I believe I used the word walloped, but Mr. Robert indicated that they were flying down anyway. Continued on to say, we reached out to Mr. Robert and his colleague again this afternoon, both by phone and email, but we're not able to get in touch with him. That's what Quinn told the judge. And accordingly, he continued, the last we heard is that defendants insist the deposition go forward at Mar-a-Lago. And on Friday, with all due respect, we did not believe this is prudent or safe because there's a fucking hurricane. (laughs) All right. Quinn included in his letter a radar image of what I'm talking about showing the intensity of Hurricane Ian. As of Wednesday night, Ian had weakened to a Category 2 hurricane hours after pummeling southwestern Florida, but officials continued to warn people to stay inside as the worst of the storm could still be on the way. Now, Trump's team shot back in court a few hours later on Wednesday that Quinn was misrepresenting what happened. And this, yeah, quote, President Trump stands ready, willing, and able to proceed with his deposition on Friday. And that's what his attorneys told the judge, whatever. Quote continues, now that we have all traveled to West Palm Beach and are currently sitting in the middle of a hurricane while plaintiff's counsel enjoys the comforts of home, plaintiffs have the gall to request that the deposition for which defendants spent considerable time and resources preparing be canceled less than 48 hours prior to its scheduled date and time. Robert also accused the lawyer suing Trump of trying to give the public the impression Trump is unreasonable. Oh, yeah. Just fly down to uh, southern Florida in yeah. the middle of the worst hurricane in a thousand years. I what mean, the why fuck's not? wrong with you? Why, do you, why am I unreasonable? <laughs> Magistrate Judge Sarah Cave of the U.S. District Court of the Southern District of New York extended the deadline Wednesday night for Quinn's team to question Trump, saying she had done so, quote, out of concern for the safety of the parties, court reporter, videographer, and any other required attendees of the deposition. Now, the deadline for Trump to be deposed is now. Halloween, mm-hmm. October 31st. Spooky. Yeah, what a dick, right? No, of course. What? You wanted to you wanted to question me Friday? Come. It's at Mar a Lago. Come now. Come down to Florida, you pussy. <laughs> Fucking asshole. Meanwhile, he's hiding in a bunker somewhere, I'm sure. Yeah, and 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 he think about all the people he's endangering. Oh, of you course. Know? And and he's like, What? Come down. Come come at me, bro. Come down and question me. We agreed to this. This is what we agreed to. Like, no. And then that, what, do you think the judge wasn't going to postpone this shit? What a dick. Uh, And yeah, so this is one of those pyramid schemes that he promoted on The Apprentice. Right. And a bunch bunch of people lost a bunch of money. Yeah. So that's what that's about. Yeah. And you know what? You're just trying to make me look unreasonable. (laughs) (laughs) No one needs to make you look like a bad businessman. You do that on your own. Yeah, you do that all by yourself. Totally. All right, next up, the author of Lady Justice, Women, the Law, and the Battle to Save America. Big, beautiful pink book you need to have on your shelf. Uh, It is an instant New York Times bestseller uh, by uh, author Dahlia Lithwick. I'll be talking to her after the break. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hi, everyone. Summer is ending. It's my favorite season, Halloween season. And that also marks the start of back to busy season. Dude, traffic is getting so much worse. There's so much to do. I find myself scrambling to find time for meal planning, meal prep, shopping for groceries, cleaning up after meals, dishes. That's why I love Splendid Spoon. I don't have to do any of that anymore because Splendid Spoon has over 50 ready-to-eat meals for you to choose from that get shipped right to your door. You can easily customize your meal plan to fit your schedule. Splendid Spoon gives you the fuel you need to tackle everything on your plate with plant-based ready-to-eat meals delivered right to your door. From breakfast smoothies and lunch bowls to noodle dinners and light soups, they have something for everyone. 
I love how easy Splendid Spoon has made it to add more plant-based meals to my busy routine, including their new fall season meals. Uh, The roasted Brussels sprouts grain bowl is so delicious. It's got a ton of protein. It's amazing and only available for a limited time. So get it while you can if you love the Brussels sprouts like I do. Fuel up for busy days with Splendid Spoon. You can get started today. You'll get $120 off your first three boxes at SplendidSpoon.com slash Daily Beans. That's $120 off at SplendidSpoon.com slash Daily Beans. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. When I started the Muller She Wrote podcast, I, I wanted I wanted it to be women because I felt like women had a different perspective on justice and what justice means. And that is why I'm so excited today to be joined by my friend, senior legal correspondent at Slate, news and politics analyst at MSNBC, host of Amicus, an incredible award-winning podcast about law, and the author of the new book, Lady Justice, Women, the Law, and the Battle to Save America. Please welcome Dahlia Lithwick. Hi, Dahlia. That is a lovely introduction. Thank you. I'm I'm psyched that you've given this issue some thought because I want to hear what you think about this. I have. I've given it a lot of thought. I've been thinking about it for a very long time now because, you know, I'm not a lawyer, but in politics and in the government, being a working in the government, government executive, being in the Navy, it's a very different perspective women have of justice. I think we come at it with a little more compassion. And we come at it with a little more strength, I think, uh, and not in a better way, just a different way, because getting justice as a woman is so much different and more difficult. And uh, we just don't see it as black and white or as histrionic. Can you talk a little bit about what prompted you to write this big, beautiful pink book (laughs) that is going to stand out on every bookshelf in America? I mean... In some ways, I came at it from the same place as you, which is, you know, the original book that I wanted to write for years was about, at the time, the three women justices. So that would have been O'Connor and uh, Ginsburg. And, uh, you know, I I was really interested in like Sotomayor and Ginsburg and O'Connor. And I, I just thought there was something interesting there. And then, you know, Kagan came on as like, I could write about the four women justices. And I was always sort of thinking in the back of my mind, it sounds like a version of what you were thinking, which is like, is there some difference? You know, I hate the essentializing. I don't want to like from an N of three say all women judges do X and Y. I know that Justice O'Connor hated the early studies that were done that tried to say there was a uniquely female approach to the law and that women approach, you know, the Carol Gilligan stuff about women approach the law from a place of relationships and, you know, balancing tests and men are like muscular and, you know, rules-based. And and O'Connor hated that kind of theorizing. And I, I don't know that Ginsburg much cared about it, but I did sense the same way you're sort of flicking at that there was a difference in the ways they thought about the law, the ways they wrote, the way they conducted themselves on the bench. And so then I think it just evolved from a book about women justices to women and justice, uh, which is kind of what this book is. And maybe I think I'll just land on, you know, I thought originally when I started this book in 2017 that I was writing kind of what you were doing, you know, just a meticulous record keeping of what had happened so that, you know, if someday we were all in a like smoldering ash heap, at least there would have been a record of the four years of uh, the Trump administration. And then I really think it changed after 2020 with January 6th and with kind of election denialism, all the stuff 
that we think about in terms of ongoing lawlessness. And then it went from just being a history book to being kind of a playbook. (laughs) How do we learn from these amazing women who use the courts and the law and the rule of law to battle back against the worst manifestations of Trumpism? And maybe how do we take those lessons and use them now and use them going forward as all of these issues continue to be urgent and salient? Yeah. And and I've been very fortunate to have a lot of women influencing me, you know, in, in now as opposed to 20 or 30 years ago. You know, we have Maddo, who's covering justice and reporting on it. We've got like Natasha Bertrand, who's who's a, a really great journalist. Then we can get into like the sisters-in-law and that whole crew, the Valkyries, Mary Trump, Jen Taub, a lot of professors, a lot of women in the FBI and coming from the FBI, working in law now, like Asha Rangappa. Joe Wine-Banks' book, Watergate Girl, which was very specifically titled for <laughs> for for very specific reasons when I talked to her about that. And I feel very lucky to have so many incredible women working in news, justice and politics and law to to look up to and to understand and to sort of, you know, garner that perspective of a woman's point of view with the law, because the law is the law, whether you come at it as a woman or a man. So I I think it's, uh, you know, that's one of the things that I really love about this book. Can you talk a little bit about some of these figures that we've been discussing, perhaps the diverse female appointments at the top of the Justice Department, for example. Yeah, I mean, it was it's it's so interesting because it's one of those again, you know, this book, when I first started it, you know, Trump's slate of U.S. attorneys was all men, you know, his his I mean, there was such a revanchist. The judicial appointments were overwhelmingly white men, you know, everything slid backwards. And so I think you're exactly right, you know, that that it it matters immensely having like uh, Lisa Monaco, having Vanita Gupta, having, you know, people at the very top of the Justice Department who and I guess this is a theme in the book. And I think maybe it's worth playing it out a little. But I, I think, you know, the chapter about Vanita Gupta in the book is called The Insider Outsider mm-hmm. because it's about someone who literally spent her entire legal career suing the government. And then turns around and becomes part of the Eric Holder Justice Department. And then, you know, went in the sort of advent of the Trump era, she, you know, takes the helm at the leadership conference. And so one of the things that I was playing with is what is it to be an insider in the legal machinery? What is it to be an outsider? What is it to be both the way Vanita was? You know, what is that sort of split screen of being both an institutionalist and also, you know, a, a, a rebel and a, a pioneer? What does that do to your brain as a lawyer? And so I think one of the things maybe you and I are both describing is it's not that you want to essentialize and say all women do this. I'm mindful of the Sidney Powells and the Eileen Cannons in the world. <laughs> I was just going to ask about Judge Cannon. Yeah, exactly. no, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I can't say all women think this or that, but I think what I can say is women, people of color, LGBTQ lawyers do have one foot in both worlds. And I think that there's some real 
utility in having lived, you know, as an insider and an outsider in the law. And even the most like think about Sonia Sotomayor, right, who comes up as a prosecutor, then she's a judge. Now she's on the Supreme Court. You would think her resume would suggest to you that she would be Brett Kavanaugh, right? But she's not. And I think it's just having experienced a part of her life where she had to like smash down doors and, you know, plead her way in and, you know, do everything she could do to be taken seriously. I think that inside outside pivot is really an essential piece of what I'm trying to think about in the book, but also why I think it's so essential to have, you know, judges and attorneys general and other officials who have seen both sides of the legal system, maybe had it weaponized against them in some context Mm. and then benefited from it. Because I think if you can't see that double-edged sword, you can't fully understand what the hammer that is the law can be. Yeah. And and that's what really resonated with me, having gone from being in the Navy to working for the Department of Veterans Affairs, then under Trump, and then having to be an outsider talking about what the administration was doing, not necessarily connected to the agency that I worked for. But, you know, that inside outside, I was like, yes, yes, I know that. And I think a lot of women understand the concept of, you know, outside inside. And I also wanted to ask you about one of my favorite people, a hero of mine, Robbie Kaplan, because so many things she's been involved with are things that we closely follow here on the show and in news and justice politics like Charlottesville, like the Eugene Carroll case, uh, which is going to have a fresh coat of paint put on it, I think, in November under a new New York law. And so I, I also wanted to to ask you about your, you know, your discussions with her writing about her how and your your connection there, because I really that was another part of the book that I really, I think, connected closely with. First of all, Robbie, too, would say she's an insider outsider, right? She's, you know, openly gay. She is at the top of the top of the, you know, sort of appellate legal world, you know, was it Paul Weiss until she opened her own shop, but, you know, Jewish, a woman. So she's both things. And I think she's one of those people who holds those two realities in her mind at all times. You know, Robbie and I have been, you know, we've certainly known each other for a long time in the chapter about Charlottesville. I was the person who was living there that she called when she decided, what, two days after the torch march in August of 2017, that she was going to come down and sue Nazis. So, you know, we've known each other a long time. We've become closer during the writing of the book and uh, in COVID. And I think maybe the other thing I would say about Robbie is she is just one of those, you just said it perfectly. She's like a where's Waldo of the legal resistance, right? She (laughs) pops up, you know, she's representing E. Jean. She's representing Mary Trump. She's representing a bunch of people who were defrauded by Trump businesses. There's never a moment that Robbie doesn't look around and say, well, if someone isn't doing this, I'm going to do this, which is by the way, why she did the Charlottesville suit. She and Karen Dunn, fully expected the Jeff Sessions Justice Department, ha ha ha, to like leap in and figure out what had happened there. And I think that Robbie in some ways is manifestly one of those people who sort of simultaneously doing legal work and doing, and I say this with huge admiration, service work. There's not a lot of waiting around, workshopping, you know, getting on 50 conference calls, figuring out if this is smart. We all thought the Charlottesville suit was insane. We were like, this is a crazy old KKK act. 
what are you doing? This implicates the first amendment. She was totally right. And by the way, got a huge judgment. And I think there's something about leaping into the void, you know, into the absence of action and courage that is so emblematic of how Robbie (laughs) sort of sees her job in the legal world. And I, again, you know, I'm, I'm loath to gender it too much, but I do think that there is, you know, Becca Heller expresses some of this in her chapter about the travel ban, just this moment at which every one of these women in the book look around and say, well, someone's got to do something. I guess it's me. And that's kind of how, you know, we've been doing the bake sales and the school runs for most of our lives. So I think there's- And chores. And chores and like, you know, <laughs> just like, and caretaking of, you know, people around. So I I think there is some thread here of, and Robbie's very representative of it, of just like, if nobody else is going to do this suit, I guess it's me. Yeah. And it reminds me of just all of the thousands of, of women lawyers and judges working in the justice system today. You know, that I feel like you're giving a voice to the unsung, right? Like my lawyer, Kathy Harris, Cater Parks Harris, right? Got me my uh, severance from the, from the VA when they wrongfully removed me from, from the Trump administration for having a podcast, God forbid. And she actually had to hand a case over to it, my case over to an associate because she was appointed by Joe Biden to be on the merit board <laughs> in the federal government. I was like, yay, congratulations, but also sad I'm losing you. But I just think of these these women every day and how they're such an integral and necessary part of what we consider to be justice in the United States. I agree. And I think, you know, and this is the kind of animating thesis of the book, which is that there it isn't that there aren't men doing this. It isn't, you know, in any way simple. And as I said, it's emphatically not the case that there are no women on the Sidney Powell side. But I do think that one of the things we failed to notice completely or respect completely is how many amazing, like, baller women have kind of occupied the field in the legal profession, have soared. This is, you know, we're, we're two generations off from RBG, not getting, you know, having to hide her pregnancy and not getting called on in class. And here we are. And I just think part of what I wanted to do with the book was call that out and say like, look, look at where we are. We're everywhere. And, you know, amazing, just like you said. And then I think the deeper thing that you said is so much of this book is a meditation on who gets famous and who gets credit. And I, you know, I start deliberately with Polly Murray, who got neither, deserved all of it, should have been on all the tote bags. And I think that one of the things that I really found in thinking deeply about this is that there are tens and thousands, hundreds of thousands of women on the front line doing legal work in whatever context, and they're not famous and they don't get credit and we don't, you know, make t-shirts, but they're holding up the sky right now. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to really push aside the idea that, you know, I'm saying this to your face, like Bob Mueller's going to save us all, you know, that now, now uh, Merrick Garland is going to save us. We just, all we have to do is pop some popcorn and wait for Adam Schiff and Jamie Raskin. (laughs) And I just don't think, A, that's a very healthy attitude toward democracy, but I actually don't think it's how women operate. I think women are not doing that. Yeah. And and any eye alone can fix it. And you know, for, for the whole entire Mueller investigation, Sure, I had a Mueller sweatshirt, but, you know, it was like, hey, 
he's not he's a prosecutor. He's an investigator. He's not going to save the country or democracy. We have to do that. We are the Mullers we've been waiting for. And I've been very consistent about that with Merrick Garland as well. Although I appreciate his appointment because that left the seat open for Ketanji Brown Jackson, who is now a Supreme Court justice and will be back. That seat will be backfilled by another amazing woman. And I'm just I'm very happy about that. And your book does that beauty illustrates that beautifully, by the way. And I, it's just everyone needs it. It's absolutely wonderful. Oh, we need to knock Jared Kushner off of the charts <laughs> with this. So I need everybody right now to go to your wherever you get your books and order it. It's a must have. It's a staple in your collection. It's called Lady Justice, Women, the Law and the Battle to Save America. I really appreciate your time today. It's great to see you again, my friend, Dahlia Lithwick. Thank you for having me. This is this is good. This this feels good. <laughs> this is why we did it. This is why we did it. <laughs> it is why. Yep. We, this is why we do it. All right, everybody, stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Are you struggling with the political upheaval of the current moment? Maybe you're trying to figure out how to keep going and fight for a better world. Well, starting in October, we're bringing you a brand new podcast made for the here and now. It's called Living Through It with ECM, a podcast for interesting times. Hosted by me, Elizabeth Cronice McLaughlin, a renowned activist and leadership expert, Living Through It hosts weekly interviews with guests who are changing the world from the ground up. We're offering you advice on how to continue working toward a better future in the face of burnout and exhaustion. And our aim is to inspire you, create hope, and share a collective vision for a more just and equitable future. I hope you'll join us on Living Through It with ECM, a podcast for interesting times. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, everyone. Good news, good news. And if you have anything you want to send to us, anything you want to bring to our attention, good news, confessions, corrections, Halloween photos, adoptable pets in your area, your pod pet, pat, ticks, packs, pull. You heard her, people. You heard her. <laughs> That's right. You want to send your pod pet tax, people? Pet ticks, tax? Send them. <laughs> you want to send your pets tick tax? Yeah. If you want to send your pets tick tax, we'll take those too. You heard her. <laughs> Don't make her repeat that. If you want to send anything to the Daily Beans, do you mean to handle you today? I don't know what I just I don't know what I just said, but I think I just offered to handle you. Where, 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 where do they do it? Oh man. It's Daily Bean Daily Beans Pod. I can't what the fuck? Daily Beans Pod.com. And click on content. Is that right? Yeah, you got it. We're a mess. I never have to say that part. I don't even know what our web address is. And uh, that's our show for today, everybody. Thank you. Yeah. Whew. A good time today. All right. So any, yeah, anyway, dailybeanspod.com. Click on contact. That's where you can send it. First up from Rowan, pronouns he and him. Hi, Beans Queens. I want to share some fun, personal good news. My dad and I like to go on bike tours together to get some quality time in since we live in different parts of the country. It's always a fun time. And the average age of riders in these groups is around 65. So getting to see older people letting it all hang out is a real treat. Uh, My dad calls it adult summer camp. (laughs) I can confirm the amount of biking and drinking is about what you would expect based on that description. Enter the conflict part of the story. 
The pandemic canceled our 2020 ride. As one might imagine, we dusted ourselves off. We're getting ready to do our trip in 2021 when my dad got into a terrible car accident two weeks ahead of the ride. He was rear-ended at full speed by a commercial truck. Oh, my God. But luckily, he was able to see it coming and get partially out of the way onto the shoulder before it struck him. Broke a few ribs, had some fluid in his lungs. Oh, man. But after a lengthy hospital stay, he made a full recovery with no lasting injuries. Right. Fast forward to this year, we finally did the tour of Door County, Wisconsin with 150 nice older people. (laughs) The third time really was the charm in this case. Pod picks are the two of us on top of Eagle Tower on Washington Island, as well as a photo of my cat Ruby cleaning her belly and looking very silly. (laughs) Thanks for all you do. Oh, you guys are handsome. Look how cool. I love that. That makes my heart warm. Oh, and look at that chonker having a bath. I love it. That's just awesome. Thank you so much for kicking us off today. This next one's from Rafaela. No pronouns given. Love, love, love your podcast. Good news. My husband, a lifetime registered Republican, changed his party affiliation to Democrat. Nice. Yes. The man may be the head, but the woman is the neck. <laughs> Unfortunately, McCarthy is our local representative, and before him, it was Nunes. But I meet more. But I meet more and more liberals every day. Anyway, ever watch Jonathan Pye? He is the English version of you. Always finds a funny way to deliver the news. And a shout out to my husband. Twenty five years together, and he still makes me breakfast every morning. Oh wow! Every morning when the whole family wakes up, we give each other hugs and tell one another how much we love each other. Not just a habit, but a perfect way to start the day. Oh. Pod pet pictures are our three dogs. Big black one is Tyson, named after Neil deGrasse DeGrassi. Am I saying DeGrasse? Is that Neil DeGrasse? Thanks, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Small one is Holly, and big tan one is best dog in the world, Maggie. My husband wanted at time to keep Thatcher's legacy going. And I told him the only thing I would call after her. <laughs> Let me say this right. I told him the only thing I would call after her is a bitch. <laughs> I get it. Ah, uh, Margaret Thatcher. Yep. <laughs> Look at these babies. So sweet. And well oh done. God. Well done getting one on our side there. Those are beautiful On the babies. right side of history instead of the right side of politics. That second one with the big smile is killing me. So sweet. So, so sweet. Sweet babies. Thank you for that. All right, Reggie, pronoun she and her. Hi and thank you, AJ and Dana, for the Daily Beans. I subscribed a couple weeks ago because I needed to see the pets and people you were ooing and aahing over. I look at the photos before I listen to the podcast and try to guess the stories behind them. Oh, that's cool. The stories are so much better than my imagination, and I love all the good people who have contributed or get teary-eyed like I do, so thank you. My good news share is about my three darling cats, my pet family that means so much to me. The oldest at 19 years is the black one with the short tail. The second oldest is 14, and the calico, a beautiful, sweet girl. I had these two girls, all three of us, perfectly happy. Uh, a few months ago, I brought a cat food donation for food for my girls didn't like to the shelter. On my way out, I saw a large cage with several cats inside right by the exit. I told myself, don't do it. Don't look, Reg. Just keep walking. <laughs> <laughs> but I did look and I locked eyes with one. A sweet little tabby boy came trotting over and kissed the side of the cage. I left with tears and sobbed in my car. He was my cat and he belonged at home with me and my girls. I applied for his adoption that day and brought him home the day after. His name was Puffers and remains Puffers. (laughs) He's 12 years old now. 
Look at the heart on his shoulders, his small ears, a flathead look and chunky feet. I don't know his background, but I like to imagine his last human treated him well, but couldn't keep him for unknown reasons. He follows me everywhere and greets me at the door when I come home. The girls are still a little snotty around him, but I was pleased to see they're starting to eat together. Love your podcast, your goodness and words of love. I love that heart with feet. Look at that. Look at a baby. That heart looks like it has feet. He looks so sweet too. Look at his ears. They're all That's very a man, sweet. That's definitely a man cat face. It's a man cat face. That's an awesome picture I'm about to read about. All right, here we go. MK Grace, Ooh, pronouns yeah. she and her. I don't have any specific good news today. Life is good all around. I just wanted to drop a couple of pictures of my kiddos that I quite like. One is from last Halloween. My grandson was obsessed with the movie Coco. Disney, I think. So I bought everyone's skeleton shirts and they did makeup and whatnot. The other is from last Christmas. I've been making them do Christmas photos since 2017. (laughs) They've been good sports and we've added to our numbers. I hope you enjoy. P.S. If you can spot the oddity in one of the skeletons. Hmm. Hmm. I'm looking. Do you see it? Yeah, I do. One of the, it's got a shirt on backwards. Oh yeah. Look at there. That that one's backwards. Scapulas. Yep. Very cool. That's makeup is amazing. Yeah, it is. These are awesome. Good looking, Look good looking Christmas. bunch too. My goodness. <laughs> Look <at this> Christmas photo. <laughs> oh God, I haven't gotten to it yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I love everybody. This put these on. The kid in the jammies is the only one that got lucky that year. What a good looking family. I know, right? This is so great. And I'm so glad, by the way, MK, that you're you're having them do these photos because they're going to be great memories. Oh, my God. These are awesome. Uh, All right, honey, all right. close us out. Hi, Shal. Last up is from Lee, pronouns she and her. I wanted to share a conversation I overheard at a container refund center at a supermarket. Really gave me hope for our future. Grandpa, cart piled high with returns. Oh, no, the machines are all out of order. The three-year-old. What should we do? Grandpa. Panic. The three-year-old, calmly, is there something else we can do besides panic? (laughs) (laughs) I told the wise grandson I'd let the service clerk know. (laughs) Oh, my God, that's funny. I love that kid. He's like, can you not get me riled up so early? Yeah, that's funny. That's so funny. Is there an option? Well, can we not panic, Grandpa? So good. Thank you so much for all these photos and the pod pet pics, which I just said properly right then. I just want to bring... Uh, oh, man. But yeah, I appreciate when we have our little guffaws. <laughs> anyway, if you have anything you want to send to us, you can do it at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Uh, let's see. We have a weekend coming up. We and do. So we, we won't be back uh, in your ears until Monday morning. So I hope everyone has a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Dana, do you have any uh, final thoughts? Do you no. want to talk about November 5th again? Sure. Just another shout out. We've got a show coming up November 5th. This is going to be an awesome black ties sort of extravaganza in Salt Lake City, Utah, which is wonderful. It's for their Pride Center. So you can go to pridecenter.org, Utah, pridecenter.org. All the information's there. I'll be emceeing and performing a 20-minute set. We're going to be giving away some awards. There's food and an open bar. It's just going to be a really good time, and you're supporting a hell of an organization. So go to utahpridecenter.org if you're going to be in Salt Lake or anywhere around there on November 5th, and I cannot wait to see you. Awesome. I look forward to it. And everybody, until Monday, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q. And for God's sakes, take someone with you. (laughs) I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. 
The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill, with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane, with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media.